Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our Sunday morning gathering. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, friends, if you're just joining us, or maybe uh, maybe you have a memory like mine and you can't remember where we're at, uh, we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians as a church on Sunday mornings, and I, I've really been enjoying our time together just, just going through the Bible. I've had a number of people, uh, I say a number of people, two, I guess two is a number of people, uh, two people have asked me, uh, kind of uh, separated from each other, that if one of the messages or the teaching was directly about them, and uh, I want to say yes and no. Uh, yes, because we all need to hear from the word of the Lord, but we didn't kind of, we didn't choose to preach through 1 Corinthians with one particular person in mind saying, you know what, who really needs to get this? You know, Braden really needs to hear 1 Corinthians, and I, I just, we're going to preach it so he hears it. We all need this. And so if something is sticking out to you, if something is convicting you, if something is stirring uh, stirring a response out of you, um, praise God. <laughs> that, that's a good thing. We chose 1 Corinthians because kind of the big picture of the text, uh, we've kind of been summarizing it uh, in the form of a question um, that Paul is answering with this letter, is that uh, what does it actually look like to live like a Christian? What does it actually look like to be a follower of Jesus? What are the things we do and what are the things that we don't do? And he kind of fleshes this out to this church that he planted. And uh, I need to be clear that our decision to teach through 1 Corinthians was a deliberate one. That the things that he had to say, that Paul and the Holy Spirit uh, had to say to the early church are still truths that we need to hear in a remarkably similar culture. We find ourselves today in modern day America, even here in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, in a remarkably similar cultural state of depravity that Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. And we've been kind of highlighting some of those uh, similarities. I'm going to continue to do that today. While they're not an exact representation of each other, um, it's similar. And the things that they needed to hear in Corinth, how many of you guys know we still need to hear today? That they are applicable to us. And so in doing so, we knew that some of the things that Paul, some of the things that the Holy Spirit and the scriptures say are challenging. Has anybody been challenged uh, in reading 1 Corinthians and studying it with us, right? Uh, There are some things that are hard to swallow. There are some things that are even difficult to understand. Peter The apostle Peter would say this about Paul's letters, that there are things that Paul says that are difficult to understand. So if you're in the company of not knowing what it means to hand somebody over to Satan, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, um, (laughs) you're in good company with Peter the apostle. I'm not saying he didn't know that, but there are things that uh, that Paul says that are difficult to understand. They're challenging. And we fully anticipated some backlash, if you will. As a staff, in our staff meeting, as we were praying, as we were looking into teaching this book, we understood that it was going to be confrontational. 
and that's not something we want to shy away from. That's not something that we want to apologize for. Um, but the last two chapters, particularly chapter five and chapter six from the last two weeks, um, I didn't preach. Two weeks ago, Pastor Daniel, a good friend of ours who was on staff here at the church, preached chapter five and Pastor Adam brilliantly tackled Pastor, Pastor six, chapter six <laughs> last week. And they, uh, they're difficult texts. They're difficult passages of scripture. So you might be tempted to think, wow, Pastor Nate, you pulled a good one there. You handed off the two really difficult, messy chapters to your friends so they can kind of take the, it's like a good cop, bad cop kind of routine, right? Uh, almost is, is, is maybe what you were thinking. And I would be lying if I wasn't tempted to just kind of fall back and be like, yeah, I'm glad that they took the messy ones. And they can take the full brunt of this and we can move on and talking about marriage. And I was looking for somebody else to talk about that one. Um, I was going to ask Gary if he would <laughs> take, chapter, <laughs> take chapter 7. So I just, I'm kidding. Um, they were, they're controversial, chapters 5 and 6. If I'm being, if I'm being frank. Um, but I, wanna, I want you to know, we're not trying, I'm not trying to sidestep some of the, the harder things that Paul has to say. You know, he said things like, hand somebody over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's confusing. That's a hard statement to understand. I think Pastor Daniel did a great job of explaining its context and bringing it forth. Uh, you know, last week, Adam was in chapter six. There's an explicit rebuke of homosexuality there and all kinds of other lists of sins, these things that are, that are touchy subjects in today's culture. There are, things, uh, <laughs> there are things in these chapters that I felt like it warranted a, a second visit, if you will. And so um, I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't listened to the last two weeks of our series here, uh, please do so because that will probably bring some greater context and clarity to maybe some of the things that I'm going to teach this morning. But uh, I was really excited to have them bring just their perspectives and uh, how they preach these chapters. And uh, it was really, really good. But as a pastor, I feel um, not in any sense to bring correction to what's been spoken. Um, if anything, I am going to bring um, elaboration, but uh, support and probably reiteration of the things that have already been spoken. So if you're hearing things today and you're like, why are you preaching on this? Pastor Daniel just said this. Or that's the exact same thing Pastor Adam said last week. I don't want us to be afraid of repetition. Repetition and reiterating truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that's important for us. And I, I say this because I take this pulpit very seriously. I take the things that are taught from this platform very seriously. I take the things that I teach very seriously. And I have been known to be wrong. Shocker, right? <laughs> I'm surprised nobody said amen there. That was, I was, I, I was fully anticipating it and nobody did. I, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased. Um, I say this because I want you to know, if you ever hear something taught from this pulpit, if there's a message that I bring, there's a guest speaker that I bring in, if there's something that's confusing to you, maybe there's something that you disagree with, Maybe there's something that, that you feel like is off. I want to encourage you to 
approach me about it. My office, my phone, my ear is open if there is something that concerns you. This is not a dictatorship. This isn't whatever Pastor Nate says goes because I understand that I have been wrong. I have the capability of being wrong. The scriptures are infallible and I'll never make an excuse for them. But me as a human being, as a pastor, am known to make mistakes. And so I want to, I want to clear this before everybody. If I'm wrong, I want to make sure that I'm being corrected and I want to be made right. And I want to give you guys permission to ask me about this. What I don't ever want to hear or see happen is here that if you have an issue with something that is being taught, if you have an issue with maybe an interpretation of a scripture or something like that, is for it to run wild amongst everyone else without addressing me first. I'm asking that you would give me the opportunity to, to hear a grievance before everyone else does. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hope you can hear that from me as a pastor. I'm sharing these things because nothing has happened. It may sound like something catastrophic has happened or, or these things, but I've, I, I, I had some reports from when Pastor Daniel preached two weeks ago about people that maybe some of the things that he said, which I don't think he said anything wrong. I'm not bringing correction to anything that he said, but I will elaborate um, that some people disagreed with maybe some of his approaches and those things. And I had good conversation with a lot of people. The only thing that I wish would have happened differently is that maybe I would have been included in those conversations. Um, and uh, I just wanted to be honest with you about that. But that's, that's kind of why we're taking a step back and we're looking at this this morning. And so I, I want to be clear. I don't expect you guys to agree with every little thing that I ever say. My, the, last, uh, the last three weeks, we've had Pastor Daniel, Pastor Adam, and now I'm going to be preaching. And we all are pretty much on the same page theologically. Theologically? That's... Uh, is that, is, that, is that right? Okay, yeah, there we go. It sounded wrong coming out of my mouth, but um, we agree on most things, but there are still things that we don't see eye to eye on in interpretations of scriptures uh, or, or of practical application, but none of them are divisive. Can I, can I be clear about that? Like there is, there is something about not, not agreeing with somebody 100%, but still operating in unity with them. Stan and I will be clear, like, we don't agree on, on a good portion of things, but we agree on Jesus. I, a good portion maybe isn't the right, a good portion isn't the right thing. That, that, I, that was a stretch. There, there, there are a handful of things, but at the end of the day, they're not big deals. And I'm, I'm picking on Stan because I know Stan and I can pick on each other, and we love each other, and he knows that. I wouldn't just do that to anybody. Um, but there, I have good friends. Adam and I disagree on things, but they're not to the place of division. And I think this mentality that is so often attributed to St. Augustine is helpful here. He, this, we don't know if he actually said this, but it's attributed to him. He says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Um, I think it's important to understand that we're not perfect, that none of us have it 100% figured out and to walk with some grace and humility in these areas and, that, and do our best to follow Jesus. That's right. And so, um, yeah, 
my only thing is, if you hear something that is off, man, if you hear me start preaching heresy or something like that, yeah, grab a couple people, come to my office, and let's figure this out. You know, like, <laughs> confront me, please. If there's something, that, if I misspeak a word or quote the wrong passage of scripture, I got my index wrong or something like that, let's, let's be big kids and, and grow up. Amen? Amen. Cool. Um, <laughs> okay. So with all that being said, I want to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Who's excited about this? You know, common, common sense, or if anything I learned in my classes that I took on being a pastor on how to grow your church, would tell you to shy away from difficult passages, especially on a Sunday morning. And by no means should you preach them, move past them, and then go back and revisit them after you cleared that hurdle. Everybody could take a breath. The, I, I think one of the largest Sundays we had in recent memories uh, was this passage of scripture, you know? And uh, then all of a sudden, the week after that, we had like a third of the people in the room. Maybe I should have taken note. I didn't. And so we're going to go back and we're going to jump in and look at exactly what the scripture says. And uh, I just have, I have some things that the Holy Spirit was highlighting to me to bring out that I think we all can glean from today. So this is where it begins in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. If you guys are writing anything under or underlining anything, underline that word tolerate for me. We're going to come back to it. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? When we read these words, it seems harsh on the surface because it is harsh. It's not just a surface level harsh. This is a severe uh, wording that Paul is using. I, I don't think we casually read these. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That is, that, that doesn't go like on your church bumper sticker. Like, hey, follow me to Open Door Church. Slap it on a bumper sticker. We're going to talk about handing over people to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Like, sign me up for that one, right? That's not an inclusive, welcoming community, is it? Like, nobody wants to go to church there. We want to go to the place where all are welcomed, right? <laughs> we don't care what baggage you're carrying. Come on in and find a family here. And, and to be clear, I think church should be all welcoming. I think anyone should be able to come through these doors and meet Jesus. And we're going to talk about a distinction here in just a moment. But what we see here is a severe sentence, severe language, and that's because sin is severe. It was severe enough to demand the blood of Jesus on Calvary. 
God's own son. We cannot pretend that what Jesus died for is simply no big deal. When we understand that it was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, it becomes a bigger deal for us. It's not just this kind of ambiguous idea that exists out there. When we understand that our sin is what Jesus came to deal with, it it should put things into perspective. Because Christ did not die just to forgive you from your sins. You need to understand this. He died to set you free from the bondage of sin. To save you from your sin. You needed saving from sin, not just being forgiven from sin. And when we live in this mentality where, you know, I'm just, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. That is a disservice to the cross of Christ. When we continue to blatantly live in unrepentant sin. I'm not talking about struggling. I'm not talking about frustration. I'm not talking about if if you're in an ongoing battle of, uh, of getting free. But when we're in deliberate sin, unrepentant behavior, where we have no remorse and no grief over what we are doing to the Holy Spirit, It's a dangerous place to be. And that is what Paul is saying. We need to put that man out of the fellowship. This isn't someone that made a mistake. This isn't somebody that was just kind of casually, uh, you you know, if we wanted to equate it maybe with alcohol instead of sexual immorality. This wasn't the guy that was struggling with an addiction that he knew was sinful and he he was trying to get right with the Lord. It wasn't that kind of battle. This was a guy here that was living in blatant rebellion against God, and he was claiming that God was okay with it. This is what we see here. This was a man that was in a sexual relationship with his stepmother, an ongoing relationship, and instead of it being grieving, instead of recognizing that what he did was wrong, he was justifying it. And this is what is absurd to Paul because what they're trying to demonstrate here is the freedom that they found in Christ. They are blaspheming the work of the cross by continuing to live in sin, by continuing to live in a pattern that Jesus died to set them free from. I'm often reminded of this quote, and I think I quote it a lot. at least as often as I quote Charles Spurgeon, I think this is probably the most I've ever quoted him. But he says that too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of their Savior. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned. To hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. To be forgiven is a big deal. Spurgeon. It's reported that there is sexual immorality among you, is how Paul addresses the Corinthians here. I can remind you, the ancient city of Corinth had a, had a pretty uh, intense reputation 
It was actually, uh, it was actually slang within the Greek world. If you were to call somebody a Corinthian, it just meant that you were promiscuous or that you were uh, living a life of debauchery. It was kind of known to, I, I've somewhat associated it with our idea of Sin City with Las Vegas. Um, but from every report that I've read, it's, it, it's worse than that, <laughs> especially, um, especially when we're, we're, we're thinking thousands of years ago. But um, in Corinth in particular, the area of sex and sexual identity was one of the most dramatic places that Greek culture clashed with the ethics of Jesus. Sexual immorality was an accepted, embraced, and celebrated fact of life for the common person in Greek culture, but it was not to be so for the followers of Jesus. This is what Paul is saying here. I wrote here that Corinth was known for its promiscuity, uh, to have multiple sexual partners, both heterosexual, homosexual, was a part of normal Greek society. And we often talk and we often like to think about how bad our society has gotten. We think about our culture. We think about all the different agendas that exist. And, uh, and we kind of look at society and we feel like it's falling apart. I, I want to be clear. I think things are bad. But I don't necessarily think they're... Um, they're necessarily that much worse than what Paul was writing to in first century Corinth um, because their society was completely upside down. In, in order to be a part of trade guilds, in order to, to experience any kind of economic fortune or, um, or favor within, within the society there, you would have to partake of these of these meals and these guilds that would eat food sacrificed to idols and there'd be a temple that would be set up and you were expected to engage in all kinds of sexual activity just to be a businessman, just to be in trade. It was to follow Jesus in Corinth meant that you were going to be ostracized from the rest of the culture because you could not in good conscience say yes to Jesus and continue living like a Corinthian. In the same way, friends, we cannot continue to say yes to Jesus in this day and age and live like he didn't pay too high of a price for our souls. Okay. But just looking at how crazy their society was, I found this um, Demosthenes. Demosthenes? Man, I don't know how to say his name. If you're looking for baby names, here's one for you. Uh, but he was a... He was an orator and a statesman in Corinth, and this is what he said. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of the body, but wives to bear us legitimate children and clean the house. There is so much wrong with this statement that we are not even going to begin to unpack it, but I share it. Uh, the, the to clean the house part, I added, um, it's in there, but it's later on, so that was my summary of his statement, but that's, that's legitimately, I don't know what Lisa said, but I'm sure it was funny and it was bad, and if I ask what she said, I'm not going to get back on track. But this statement, this statement, it summarizes what they thought in Corinth. This was what they, this was normal for them. This was not some kind of off-the-wall guy that was just kind of spitting this out of his nose. This was something that they believe. You know, mistresses were for pleasure, concubines are for the body, and wives are to bear us legitimate children. 
And so I don't think many of the women today would uh, like this Demosthenes guy um, or his statement. Um, I don't. Well, that's not what this is about. But I want you guys to look back in 1 Corinthians 5. In verse 1, it says that this is a kind of immorality that the pagans do not even tolerate. This word, tolerate. Um, it's kind of a buzzword, if you will. Tolerance, tolerate, is uh, something that I've seen all over the place. I was at Natural Groceries the other day, and this guy pulled up in his Prius, and he's got, uh, he has a sticker on the back. There's, um, there's the coexist stickers. Have you guys seen those? And it's got like five different religions on the back and the crosses at the end. And it's like, oh yeah, we can't we all just get along? And then the next, the next one that I had seen was, um, the, so this guy pulled up, he had one of those and then he had one on the other side with the same kind of symbolisms, but the cross is at the front and it says tolerate. <laughs> um, and it's this kind of idea of this message that we should tolerate one another, that we should get along with everybody. And on a surface level, that sentiment is, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I had a conversation with a guy on a ski lift one time. And I, I like to ask people who they are and what they do. And it eventually comes around, they ask me the question, and we're stuck on Alberta. And so, you know, it, it takes a while to get to the top. And they'll be like, so what do you do? And I was like, I'm actually, I'm a pastor in Pagosa. And so either the conversation just stops right there or, or it picks up. The amount of time that I have been offered drugs after I have told someone that I was a pastor would blow your mind. The amount of times that I have accepted those... No, I'm kidding. I hope wouldn't startle you. I've never done that. Oh, man, I'm going to get myself into trouble. i got to be careful. But I was having this conversation with this guy, and I was asking him about, like, Jesus, and, and, and so, so we started talking about who Jesus is, and, uh, you know, I could tell that, you know, he, he wasn't a follower of Jesus, and he was very adamant about that, and I was like, so, but he, he told me, I really like what Jesus stood for. I was like, well, what did Jesus stand for? I was curious, and he said, well, peace and tolerance, man, and uh, it was everything inside of me to not just, like, bring such theological correction in the moment. That's not what this guy needed. Um, <laughs> anyway... Can I, be, can I be clear with you? Jesus did not come to bring peace and tolerance. He came to bring a sword. And actually, we have instructions not to tolerate evil. And it's something that may be offensive. It may be abrasive. But Jesus never made apologies for the things that he said. And I can't make apologies for the things that he said either. And so um, this word tolerate, that's going to kind of be the main thrust behind our message this morning, because I believe that tolerance was the problem with what the church in Corinth was dealing with. Uh, tolerance was the problem. It wasn't so much this man living in sexual immorality that Paul is frustrated with. Paul, I think, is, is more frustrated with the fact that the church is doing nothing about it. The church is sitting idly by, giving their approval to something that God has condemned. And this is the danger. I think people get hung up on this text too often, and they think, well, obviously we need to figure out what 
what to do and how to respond here and, and what this guy was doing and, and all of these different things. The, the crux of the problem here is that the church wasn't willing to call sin, sin. And they weren't willing to, they weren't willing to bring correction where correction was needed to the point that it got to a disastrous problem. And it makes me think of a lot of things that are happening in our world today, especially within modern cultural Christianity that I think is almost a mere image of what we see Paul addressing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Can I tell you that popularity is always a poor judge of truth? To be tolerant right now is popular. To be all embracing and to be in affirming of anybody and everybody is kind of the, the popular thing to do. We were going to kind of take the LGBTQ agenda and look at this just this morning. I'm just using this as an example. It works in a variety of different ways, right? We have Pride Month, right? And we have different businesses that will throw up uh, signs and rainbow flags all over the place. And you get Oreo cookies that are no longer black and white. They're rainbow colored because everybody is leaning into this bandwagon. You would have to be a fool to think that all of these corporations and all of these companies actually care about somebody's sexual identity and affirming them as people. It's a cash grab. Let's be honest with that. Let's, 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 just, be, let's just be clear that it's, it's popular right now to be on the affirming bandwagon and on the affirming train. And it, it, it's dangerous. <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't know what I'm laughing about. Um, but popularity is a poor judge of what is true. I think more often than not, it's an indicator that something's actually amiss. Because the following Jesus and the way of Jesus has always been a small, narrow path. We cannot be tolerant of all things because God is not tolerant of all things. We cannot respect differing opinion. Oh, we can. Sorry. I was going to read this and it was like, that doesn't sound like something I would say. We can <laughs> respect differing opinions. We must respect people that think differently than us and believe differently than us. Respecting somebody and affirming them are not, two, are not the same thing. Does that make sense? We can try to understand them, but we cannot give our unqualified, unconditional affirmation to every belief and behavior. Why? Because God doesn't and the scriptures do not. We must love what God loves and we must hate what God hates. And the church in Corinth was celebrating what they, would, what they should have been grieving over. That was the big problem here. They were embracing, affirming, and celebrating sin in the spirit of tolerance. And that's something that I see many churches and Christians doing today that is scary. Because, friends, it's nice. It sounds good. We want to be friendly. We want people to like us. We want to reach out to people. We want, we want to be there. We want to be the people that they turn to. We want them to feel loved when we encounter them. But love and affirmation are not the same thing. Any church that affirms any 
sinful lifestyle is not the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm making these statements and I'm making them bold for a reason. Because it's necessary for us to draw some lines in the sand. Because Jesus did. And as much as I would like to say that everybody's right and it's all about someone's own interpretation and it's all happiness and rainbows and bunnies uh, from here on out, that's not what Jesus says and that's not what he says to his bride. When I see this here, this is... This isn't talking about somebody that was just struggling in sin. This isn't talking about someone that had addictions that they were trying to work through. This isn't talking about someone that was trying to follow Jesus. This is talking about someone that was living in blatant rebellion to God. In blatant rebellion to the scriptures, the scriptures condemned this action that he was doing. The culture, sinful, pagan culture, even condemned what he was doing, but the church celebrated in it. And they were toting it around as this idea, look how tolerant and inclusive we are. Aren't you proud of us? And Paul is saying, no, you're missing the point because it's not about tolerance. It's not about embracing and affirming everybody because we do not serve a come-as-you-are, stay-as-you-are kind of Jesus. We want everybody to come. We want everybody to know Jesus. There's no filter. There's no limitation on someone's background or what they're currently struggling with or who they identify as that will inhibit them from coming to the cross. Jesus invites everyone to come and drink this living water. He died for the entire world, and we want to be open. We want to be inclusive, but there's a difference between being inclusive and being affirming because when we include people and we bring them to the point of meeting Jesus and knowing Jesus, he demands a life change. It's no longer about us and what we want and what we desire or who we identify as. We now identify as sons and daughters of a living God. We now find ourselves as slaves to righteousness. And if we don't, we're missing out on what Jesus came to do. Because he didn't just come to forgive us of our sins. He came to set us free from them. And when we blatantly put a put God's stamp of approval on what scripture clearly deems as sinful, what we're doing, I think, breaks God's heart. And it's an injustice to the cross and the price that he paid. I want to look at the words of Jesus here because you might be saying, well, those are just the words of Paul. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit and we understand that scripture comes from the Lord. But just in case that's not enough for you, I want to, I want to look at the church in Thyatira. This is a letter that Jesus would give to the church. These are written in red. These are the words of the risen son of God himself. He's writing to this church in Thyatira. Thyatira. Thyra, Tyra, in Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 18. It says, to the angel of the church in Thyra, Tyra, write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This means this is not a suggestion. 
This is not just coming from Pastor Nate. This is not just coming from the assemblies of God or some kind of denomination. This isn't just good idea. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. Man, that's intense. He says, I know your deeds. That's scary. <laughs> your love and your faith. Oh, that's good. Your service, your perseverance, and that, are you do and that you are doing now more than you did at first. Good. This is almost like the this is almost like the church in Ephesus where they're getting a, a pretty good report card here at the beginning. They're doing pretty good. This might be the idea of a church that is like happening and hopping, you know, where people come in and they get a donut. City Market was out of donuts this morning. I'm sorry, guys. So we had bagels instead. But they show up and you know what? They get a nice coffee and a nice donut. And man, the worship team is really talented and really good. And the preacher is like just on point and, and church is good. And everybody's welcome, and everybody's fine, and, and they're doing awesome stuff. You know, they're reaching out to the community. They're doing things. The church is growing. It's, it's great. And, and this is happening. But then we get into verse 20 where there's this, there's, this, there's this caveat where it says, nevertheless. Ooh, that's not good. It says, nevertheless, all this good stuff that's happening, I have this against you. You tolerate Tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. These are the exact things that Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians. We're going to get to the food sacrifice to idols thing later, but this is exactly what's happening. This lady's name probably wasn't Jezebel, but she's acting and they're referring to the Old Testament character of Jezebel who led King Ahab into idolatry and led the people of God into sexual immorality and idolatry. There's evidently this woman who's calling herself a prophet that is teaching in the church, that has some kind of pull amongst the people of God, and they're tolerating this nonsense. They're tolerating sexual immorality, and they're tolerating this uh, idolatry that is taking place. And it says in verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. This is where we get into the place where God is gracious. There is grace from the Holy Spirit. He gives opportunity and he gives grace for change and repentance. And this is why we're not talking about somebody that is struggling. We're talking about somebody that is living in an unrepentant, rebellious way towards God. And says, he says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. This is Jesus. This is the merciful, gracious Jesus that we know. This is what he says he's going to do. I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead that all the churches will know I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. That's not the, oh man, Jesus just forgives everything kind of guy that we, we know, that we like. That's severe. That is fierce. And I need us to understand this, that this isn't something to play around with. Sin is not something we can have a casual approach to. Jesus died, not just to forgive us, but to save us from sin and its effects. 
goes on and he says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A lot of this is to bring clarification about the handing of over someone to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, to disfellowship someone. I think the greatest grievance, maybe, maybe I should say it this way, the greatest grievance is chapter 5 is not the man sleeping with his stepmother. It's that the church approved of something that God condemned. I can, I can look at entire denominations right now that are affirming something like homosexual marriage that God has spoken against. That are falling left and right. And this isn't me. This isn't, I have nothing against uh, the people that identify as being homosexual or anywhere on the LGBTQ spectrum or those things. I, I think there's an identity crisis. I think that we all need Jesus. He, limps, he lumps homosexuality in there with greed and abuse. <laughs> those are things that we all need to, need to view. But when the church on a widespread scale is embracing things that God explicitly condemns, it's a startling place to be. And I think Paul would write a very similar letter to the church in America today. I'm, great. I'm grateful that he's giving time now for the church to repent. He's giving time now. He's patient. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is grace. But we, as the people of God, need to uphold the sentiment from chapter 5 and have nothing to do with people that are living in blatant rebellion to God and they're giving God's stamp of approval on it. If there are those that we are know living in rebellion, I'm not talking about struggling. I'm not talking about those that are trying those that, are, that, that, those that are fighting and they're working out their sanctification and, 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 and you know, they're on a path towards Jesus. We, we embrace, we support those. Scripture says that we need one another in that context. We're talking about the prideful mentality of those that do not need the fellowship of the saints and they do not need to repent that we're to disfellowship from them. Now, this is where it gets difficult because we do not live in first century Corinth, right? If you were to be cast out of the church in first century Corinth, you were cast out of the church. If we were to put somebody outside of our fellowship right now, I'm going to pick on Darwin because I'm looking at him. If Darwin, you had some kind of thing that justified us to put you out of the fellowship, it'd be easy for you to just go down the street to the next church or just find a different place or 
be like everybody else that I know who's like, you know what, I don't really like organized religion. I really like Jesus, but I really don't like his church. And you could probably continue on with your life and, and pretend like everything was okay. But what Paul is saying here is that when you disfellowship someone, there should be something that grieves and breaks inside of them where they miss the, the community of Christ to the point where it demands change. And so I think this is not just, an, this is not just a, a reflection on the person and their struggle, but this is actually kind of a, this is alarming for the church. It should be difficult for people to not be active in the body. There should be something that necessitates and provokes them to be involved to when they are absent, they desire it so much to be involved. Does that make sense? We could talk about that a lot, but I'm not going to get all the way down that road this morning. All of this, this idea of tolerance, I don't want to pretend like it's just applying to sexual immorality. This is the context that Paul's doing, but it applies to sin in general. And the modern church needs to call sin for what it is. We need to call sin, sin. And we need to not give people the false security that they're in right standing with God when they're not. That is dangerous. I think there are plenty of people that are walking around saying, you know what, I've been forgiven. Me and God are right. I said a prayer one time at a youth group and I'm going to continue to live like I want. That is not the invitation to follow Jesus. The invitation to follow Jesus is to die to oneself. And that's not always, that, that's never fun to die to yourself, but it's always worth it. But we need to call sin, sin. And I'm talking about all sin. We need to call out abuse as sin. We need to call out greed as sin. We need this, this whole long list that we read in 1 Corinthians, um, we, need to, we need to call it a sin. And we need to call each other out on it. And if we're unrepentant, that needs to change. And if it gets to the place where you're too good for the church and you don't need us, that's where we need to cut ties and cut fellowship until the Holy Spirit does what evidently we cannot. I, I'm happy to report that when you get to 2 Corinthians, this man is back restored in right relationship with God and in the family of the church. That's really cool. That's a big deal, and I think we miss out on that a lot. But there is something, if I had one simple statement that I think I've reiterated, is that we cannot condone the things that God hates. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to find more of our messages, get connected with our church, or partner with us financially, you can find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Thanks again, and have a blessed week.